0: The punishment for your for their sins against God. Now, in the captivity, the children of Israel start complaining. And they start saying, you know what? We did not sin ourselves. Our fathers sinned, and we're just paying for their sins. The fathers are the ones who actually broke the law of God, and we're just here being punished for them. So that is the context of the whole chapter of Isaiah chapter 18. God is replying to the people of Israel and he's saying, no, I'm not punishing you for the sins of your fathers. I'm punishing you for your own sins. So if we even go one verse backward to verse 29, Yet the house of Israel says, the way of the Lord is not fair. That is, God is punishing us for the sins of our fathers and God's way of doing this is not fair. So God is saying, O house of Israel, is not my ways which are fairs and your ways which is not fair. And the Lord is saying, no, I am being just and I am being judging you for your own sins, not for the sins of your fathers. And now that leads us to the conclusion in verse 30. After God presented his case. Therefore, I will judge you, O house of Israel. And then he says, everyone according to, not his father's ways, but according to his ways. God is saying, I'm judging you because of your own sins, not because of the sins of your fathers. Says the Lord God. And then God reveals his heart, who he really is. And then he pleads with the children of Israel and he says repent and turn from all your transgression so that iniquity will not be your ruin so that your iniquity will not be your own ruin God is telling the children of Israel you are being punished and you are being judged And you are suffering the consequences of what you have done. But it is not me, the one who's causing the suffering. It is your own iniquities, your own sins that is ruining you, that is causing you to suffer all the judgment and the wrath. And in the midst of you bringing judgment upon yourselves, I'm pleading here with you and I'm saying, repent and turn from your ways. Come to me so you don't have to suffer the consequences of sin. And the judgment and the wrath that you have brought upon yourselves. And then verse 31. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed. And get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. And then God says, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Do you guys see the heart of God? His heart is broken. For the children of Israel because they are bearing wrath and judgment because they have sinned against God. And God is just watching them ruining their own lives and he's pleading with them that they would just turn from their sins. That they will repent, that they will cast away their sins. And he's pleading and saying, why should you die, O children of Israel? Why would you perish? I want to give you life. I want to give you hope. You don't have to go through the consequences of your sins. Why should you die, O house of Israel? And then verse 32, for I have no pleasure, for I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, says the Lord. I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, in the death of the one who dies. God is saying, this is not my heart really. This is not what I want to do. This is not what makes me happy to see a sinner die and perish. It gives me no pleasure to see the sinner die. The one thing that gives me pleasure is to see the sinner actually repenting. Okay, I didn't know if it's working. If see the sinner repenting and coming to me, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. Turn and live. This couple of verses just gives us a glimpse of the heart of God. Toward People who are sinning against him, who are breaking his law and breaking his heart, even more importantly, and they are suffering the consequences of breaking the law of God. And God is pleading for them that they were turned because his heart is not for them to be judged, his heart is for them to have grace, to have mercy, and to experience the love that he can offer. Amen? Amen. Now, I want to just highlight a couple of more scriptures in the Bible that pretty much emphasized that phrase that God told the children of Israel in verse 32, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And if you read the Bible, you see that this is exactly the heart of God from Genesis to Revelation. Everything God does toward humanity comes from from his heart condition, that he takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Because he's not pleased when anybody die and perish we're going to see that theme running throughout the scripture. But I'm just going to highlight only three examples in the Bible, three verses or three passages, and that's it. Okay? So let's turn first to the book of Judges, chapter 10. Judges, chapter 10. We're going to read a couple of verses there. All right. Judges, chapter 10. We're going to read verse 10, 10 to 16. So the context here is this. The children of Israel in the book of Judges sin against God. So God starts punishing them for their sins. And when they start feeling the consequences and the pain that sin has brought upon themselves, they cry out to God asking for forgiveness. So the Lord, because he's a merciful God, comes through to them and he forgives their sins, raise up a deliverer who set them free. Now, once the punishment is being left over, the children of Israel go back to sin against God. And this just cycle goes over and over and over again in the book of Judges. That's the whole book, what the whole book is about. So let's just read these few verses here. Judges 10, verse 10. Now, same thing here is happening. The children of Israel is, are being punished, okay? And they're coming back to God for deliverance. Verse 10, And the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have both forsaken our God and served the Baals." Saying, God have mercy on us, we did sin against you. Verse 11, the Lord is replying back to the children of Israel. and He's saying, So the Lord said to the children of Israel, Did I not deliver you from the Egyptians and from the Amorites and from the people of Ammon and from the Philistines, also from the Sidonites and the Amalekites and the Moanites? Also, the Sidonites, the Amalekites, the Moanites oppressed you and you cried out to me, and I delivered you from their hands. That's seven nations the Lord is bringing back to their attention, saying, seven times we did this before. You sinned, I punished you, I sent nation number one. You start feeling the pain, you cried out to me, I had mercy on you, and I came through, and I delivered you, but you went again to your sin. I sent nation number two that oppressed you and afflicted afflicted you because you have sinned against me. You cried out to me, so I had sympathy again over you. Seven times I did that to you. Seven times I have saved you. Verse 13, Yet, after seven times, yet, you have forsaken me and have served other gods. Therefore, I will deliver you no more. God saying, I am done. I have done enough. I have saved you so many times. I had compassion in you so many times. I'm done. I can't do this no more. Verse 14. God is telling the children of Israel, Go and cry out to the gods which you have chosen. Let them deliver you in your time of distress. And the children of Israel say to the Lord, We have sinned Do to us whatever seems best to you. Verse 16. So they put away the foreign gods, from among them and served the Lord and now look at this coming phrase right here and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel Wow! and his soul could no longer endure the misery of Israel God just could not bear seeing the children of Israel living in bondage and in punishment and enduring the wrath that they actually brought upon themselves. God is not just a sadistic God who just want to judge people for no reason just because he's God. People are bringing judgment upon themselves and his heart is literally broken for them. I'm just thinking of my son Micah. He's 16 months old and he's trying to test his boundaries a lot. You know, so as his father, sometimes I had to punish him and he cries and I see him crying and my heart breaks for him because I don't want him to be crying and I cannot wait to go back to him and just carry him and hold him and tell him how much I love him. But I have to punish him because he did do something wrong. And this is exactly the heart of God. Where do you think fathers get this from? It's from the heart of God who could no longer endure the misery of Israel. This is how God feels about every single sinner around this area. This is god 's heart for washington d c this is god 's heart for this neighborhood this is god 's heart for your family member who doesn 't know him this is god 's heart for your neighbor, for your coworker, for every single soul that you 're rubbing shoulder with every single day that doesn't that this soul doesn 't know the Lord. These people are sitting against God, breaking his law and breaking his heart. And they're bringing upon themselves judgment and wrath, which is absolutely fine and just, because they deserve that just as we did in the past. But God's heart is broken for them. They go through the guilt and the shame of sin, and His soul just cannot bear what they are going through. And not only that, sin is going to lead them to a. Christless, eternal lake of fire and eternal judgment that they're going to suffer forever and forever and God's heart is broken for them. He doesn't want no one to perish. The God that spoke to the children of Israel in the book of Judges here is the same God who spoke to Ezekiel and said, I just take no pleasure in judgment. It doesn't please my heart to punish the wicked. Don't misunderstand me. He will do it. He will punish the sinners. And by no means will the guilty go free. But this is not his heart. His heart is mercy and grace and love, not judgment and wrath. Amen? Amen? Let's read another example in the book of Hosea, one of the very early small prophets, minor prophets in the Old Testament. Hosea chapter 11, I think is the very first one. Hosea chapter 11, we're going to read a couple of verses there. Now, the context once again, God is pronouncing judgment on Ephraim or the northern nation of Israel. And in Hosea chapter 11, verse 8, God is telling the children of, uh, of Israel or the nation of Israel, the northern nation, Ephraim, at that point, he's saying this this is just amazing the heart of god how can i give you up ephraim now god is thinking about the judgment that he's going to pour on them okay and he's i think talking to himself and he's saying how can i give you up ephraim how can i hand you over israel is that how can i just let go of you? How can I just punish you and let you suffer the consequences of your sins? How can I make you like Adama? How can I sit you like Zabawim? Now, Adama and Zabawim, these are two tiny small cities that were in the valley of Sodom and Gomorrah. And when God poured out his wrath on Sodom and Gomorrah, there was Three small cities or two small more cities that got destroyed. You'd probably, They're mentioned in the book of Genesis. One of them is Adama, and the second one is Zabawim. So God is saying, how can I punish you the same way I punish these other cities, these other towns? And then listen to this. Listen to the heart of God. My heart shorns within me and my sympathy is stirred. My sympathy is stirred. Now, listen to this. The word stirred that God is using here. Actually, this Hebrew word was mentioned only three more times in the whole Old Testament. That's it. Four times total, including Hosea. Three more times in the, uh, three other examples in the Old Testament, okay? So let's look at this word a little bit because that tells us what happened to God. What happened to his sympathy when he was about to pour out his judgment on the children of Israel, okay? The first time this word was mentioned was in Genesis 43.30, okay? The context there is this. Joseph was uh, the second man already in Egypt. The famine was already going on, and Jacob sent 10 of his brothers, okay, to buy grains from Egypt. And when the 10 brothers came to Egypt, Joseph recognized his his brothers. His brothers did not recognize him. So he started messing with them so they can bring Benjamin and everybody else later. So he's saying, you are spies. And they said, no, we're not spies. We're actually 12 brothers. One is no more. And the youngest is with our father. And we're the 10 brothers here. So he's like, no, you are spies. And to prove yourself right, I'm going to keep one of you. Long story short, I'm summarizing here. I'm going to keep one of you here till you go back and bring your youngest brother so I know that your story is right. He obviously knows that the story is right. He's just trying to... Bring Benjamin back. So he captures Simon, one of the ten, and put him in prison. They go back to Israel. Gray runs out. They have to go back to Egypt, can't go back without Benjamin. So they plead with Jacob, give us Benjamin, and I think Rao being the, the firstborn said, I will redeem him with my own life. That's how he's trying to pursue with Jacob. Long story short, Benjamin came. And then they all came to Joseph. And then when Joseph saw his brother, that's that's the context here in Genesis 43:30 when Joseph saw his brother for the first time the bible say that his heart yearned for his brother once he laid eyes on him his heart longed for his brother that he had to run out and find a place so he can weep one translation put it like this his bowels inside of him burned for his brother Other translation put it like this. He was overwhelmed with emotions for his brother that he hasn't seen forever. He was so moved with this intense, deep emotion that the second man in the greatest nation in the world at that time, somebody like Joe Biden nowadays, you know that, the prestige that he has to be in. He was so overwhelmed with emotion that he had to go out, find a place who can weep because his heart burned inside of him toward his brother. This is the exact same word that God is saying, describing how he felt when he was about to pour out his judgment on Ephraim and Israel at that time. The exact same word. The second time this word was mentioned is in 1 Kings 3.26. Now, the context here is this. Solomon was king, and he was full of wisdom. God wanted to show the nation how wise Solomon is. So the story goes that there was two prostitutes living in one house. They have two children. One of them slept over his/her child and died. So she took the living child, put him next to her, and put the dead child next to the other one. Two ladies go to um, Solomon, fighting on the living child. Each one saying that this is my own son. So Solomon, God once again showing the nation that he's the wisest king ever, he said, "Bring me a sword. Split the living child." Give half to each woman. And then this word comes in. When the the mother of the living child. The Bible says that when Solomon said this, his, his mother, her, her bowels inside of her just moved with that intense emotion toward her son that she said, no, don't kill him, just give him to the other lady. And that's how Solomon knows that she's the right mother. So this, this emotion, this sudden arousal of passion and mercy and grace and fear even for the safety of her son, this is what the exact same word that God used to describe himself in here in Hosea chapter 11. The word says that her heart, one, one translation says, her heart went out for her child. The second one, that her bowels yearned for her son. And this is the exact word that God uses here to describe how he felt when he was about to to destroy Ephraim and Israel. The last time this word was mentioned was in Lamentation 5.10, and this was translated blackened or um, hot. The context here again is God is judging Israel, and Israel starts feeling the heat of God's judgment or the, the intensity of that wrath. So... Jeremiah was crying out to God and he says our skin is blackened as an oven, the word blackened, or our skin is hot as an oven, like we all of a sudden start feeling that tense wrath, that tense heat that is so strong that our own skin has burned and become black because of the intensity of the heat that we are experiencing. And this is the exact same word that God is using to describe how his sympathy was stirred in Hosea chapter 11. So do you you guys see how how God is trying to say it is the sudden intense arousal of this sympathy and passion that is just too hard to contain. And this is what God is saying about himself when he was about to pour out his judgment on the people that actually deserve it. These are not good people and God is just trying to punish them. These are people who knew what is right and they chose to do wrong. They willingly chose to break the law of God and willingly chose the heart of God. And they are the ones who are ruining their own lives with their own iniquities. And God is pleading with them and saying, don't perish. Don't let sin be your own iniquity. Why should you die? My heart is breaking for you. I don't want you to die. And this is what what God feels toward every single sinner in this world. 7 billion people in this world, and God's heart is broken just as much for every single one of them. Amen? Last example. Let's turn to the New Testament. Let's read from 2 Peter. 2 Peter chapter 3. Second Peter chapter three. We're gonna read one verse, but I'm just gonna give you the background as well. I'm gonna read verse nine, but the background here is this: during that time, people start complaining that God is not, Jesus is not really coming back. God is not really gonna judge sin. You know, he's just everything has been the same since forever. You know, nothing is changing, probably nothing will ever change, so God is not going to come back. Let's just read a couple of verses earlier so we can know what what Peter is talking about. Verse verse 2, chapter 3, verse 2 that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets, that God is going to come back, that Jesus is going to judge sin, and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior, knowing this first, that scoffers will come in the last day." walking according to their own lust and saying, where is the promise of his coming? He's not coming. You know, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. It's like, you know what? Jesus is not coming. There's no judgment. Everything can always be the same. Let's move forward to verse um, 8. But beloved, do not forget this. One thing. Don't forget this one thing. That with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is like a one day. So Peter is saying, yes, people say that God is not, Jesus is not coming back. He's not going to judge sin, but they don't know God's timing is not our timing. And then he leads us to verse nine here. He says, for the Lord is not slack concerning his promise. He's not slack concerning his promise to coming back rescue the saints and judge sin. As some count slackness. Look at this but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Peter is saying that God is not coming back because he's slacking in his promise or he's never going to come through on his promise. He is waiting. The reason why Jesus hasn't come yet, that's what Peter said, he is long-suffering, he is patiently waiting even though it is causing him suffering because he is not willing that none should perish. That's why he's waiting. Because his heart for none of the people outside perish. His heart is for them to be saved. He's not willing that none should perish. But how many? 5% of the population? What does the Bible say? How many should come to repentance? 5%? 80%. 100%. Every single soul in this world, it's God's heart for this soul to come to repentance, that's why he's waiting. He is the same God who told Ezekiel in the Old Testament, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. It doesn't bring me any joy to see a sinner die and perish. The one thing that satisfies my heart is to see sinners coming to repentance. Every single one of them. That's why I'm waiting on my promise to come back to get my saints and judge them. Amen? It is the same God who spoke early, like in the book of Judges, and then to Hosea, to Ezekiel, here in Peter, we see that He takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So much so. This is how much God takes no pleasure in the death of the wicked that we, when we, the human race, have sinned against Him, and broke the law of God, and we were under the judgment of God, and righteously brought upon ourselves His wrath, and there would have been no way for us to be saved, no way for us to pay off God's judgment, He came down to us, and He went to the cross, so He can take upon Himself the judgment that you and I deserve. And on the cross, on the cross, Jesus, the creator of heaven and earth, became a mockery of his creation. The one who knew no sin became sin. The one who, in his presence, angels just covered their eyes because they cannot behold his glory. That exact same very one on the cross was beaten, spit at, mocked, despised, rejected, and after all of this, God's the, God the Father poured out his judgment on him. Do you know why? Do you know why Jesus endured the cross? Do you know why Jesus despised the shame? Do you, know why, do you know why Jesus went through the wrath of God and he didn't mind it? Because he is the God of Ezekiel, who told Ezekiel in chapter 18, I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked. So much so that he didn't mind the cross So He can provide a way for us to be saved. Amen? Amen. This is our God. And this is His heart. His heart is for our communities, our neighborhood, our cities, and our nation, and in this world, that everyone should be saved. And He has provided the way on the cross when Jesus came and died. So He can pay off the wrath of God that we have required upon ourselves. Amen? Let's close our eyes and pray. I don't know all of you here today. But if you're here today and you're not sure that you are saved, if you're not sure 100% that if you are to die today, you're going to go to heaven, If you don't know beyond the shadow of any doubt that your sins are forgiven, then God is speaking to you today. And He is saying, I love you so much I don't want you to die and perish. So much so that I have provided the only possible way for you to be saved when I send my son Jesus to die on the cross so He can pay the price of your sins. And my arms for you today are wide open, I don't care how much sins you have committed I want you as you are, I will forgive you, I will come at your heart, I will take the ruin, the guilt, and the shame, and the punishment of sin, and I'm going to make you a brand new creation. If that's you today, I want you to lift your hands so I can pray for you. Lifting your hands is not what's going to save you, it is just an outside showing that this is the condition of your heart. few minutes for all of us to just pray. I want to spend good five minutes minimum to pray, okay? And we're gonna pray about what we just heard right now. God's heart for the law.